morning, everyone. I, I think I say this every time I preach, but I just need to say again how much I miss all of you, and boy, I wish that we could all be together. It, uh, it just doesn't feel right, and there's something inside of us that, uh, you know, our, our heart longs for Christian community, and so I'm really praying that all of us will be able to sit, stay connected somehow, whether it's through communities or D groups or just friendship, that you'll find a way to experience uh, being together as a spiritual family. In that regard, I wanted to invite you to something that's going on tomorrow night. We've actually started a what we're calling a, a summer seminars, and next uh, tomorrow night is going to be on marriage. And what we're doing is we're taking some basic. Um, theological and psychological principles of what healthy relationship looks like, and then we're applying it to different kinds of relationships. So last week we looked at what it means to be single. The uh, time before we looked at what it means to be part of a church family, and then this uh, tomorrow night we're going to be looking at what marriage looks like. So whether you're married or not, I think that you're going to find it very helpful to see how these principles practically apply. So you're all invited. I uh, look forward to seeing you on Zoom. There'll be a time for Q&A, and so I hope that you'll participate in that as well. But I think it's going to be a really good time. Uh, I've been inviting my friends out to it, and I hope that you invite yours out. I think they're going to find it to be a rich time. I also wanted to invite you out to something on August 9th. We've changed something a little bit. We were going to have a uh, D group leaders meeting on August 9th, but we really felt as we were praying and and trying to discern what God wants for our community, we really thought that we should have what we've called in the past a family meeting, where all of us in the church just get together. Uh, Debbie and I are going to be talking for the most part. Other people will be as well. But we just want to be able to share our hearts, give a bit of an update on how things are going, everything from finances to what we sense the Spirit of God saying in this time, and uh, really sharing our hearts with you. And so you are very much invited to be part of that Zoom meeting on August 9th. So please mark that in your calendar as well. I think it's going to be an important time together. <clears throat> well, we started last week a new series on what it means to be basically a normal Christian. What does it mean to just follow Jesus, love Jesus, and, uh, and live for him? And we're basing it on Romans chapter uh, 12 and 13. Now, as you might know, Romans itself is probably the most comprehensive and extensive uh, explanation of what the Christian message is, what the gospel is. Paul goes into great detail for many chapters, unpacking uh, what the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection is all about, how he lived, how he died, and how that affects us. So then in chapter 12 and 13, it's now the, the practical or normal expression of what that gospel would do in our hearts, how it gets practically expressed. And so we want to spend a few uh, times together really unpacking what that looks like and seeing how that gospel can practically, practically transform our lives. So we ended last week exploring about what God's will is. What is God's will for our life? Well, essentially, it's summarized Elsewhere, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, uh, but expanded on in the first few verses of, of Romans 12, that it's about uh, giving and receiving God's mercy or God's love. That in light of God's mercy, uh, 
given the sacrifice that he's given to us, he then invites us to live a, a similar life of, sacrifice, of sacrificial love towards others. And so we said that for God's will is for us to freely give the love and the mercy that we freely received. And this really is normal Christianity. What Christians do in whatever situation we find ourselves is we bring the love and mercy of God into that place. What a high calling. We, what we bring into that moment is not what's self-serving. Uh, we're, not trying to, we're not driven by making money or by being famous and significant. We are shaped as the people of God, as somebody who brings the mercy of God into any given moment. The mercy that we so freely received, we now give away to others. It's how we behave. Uh, what we want to look at now is, what is God's specific will? I'm sure that you've all asked the question, what does God want me to do in any given moment? Um, what job should I have? Who should I marry? Uh, should I go on that vacation? Should I buy this particular thing? What is God's specific will? This is, this is really uh, tremendously practical, and it's, it's like, how do we take all these fancy ideas of what Jesus has done for us, and how does it actually affect the daily decisions that I make. So do we think that uh, God's will is for us to take the principles that we find in the Bible and then apply them to particular life areas? Well, that's a pretty good idea. Sometimes, though, it gets a little tricky, doesn't it? That, you know, which biblical principle should I apply and how should I apply it? So maybe we think that what we need is to have uh, counsel from other Christians. And so we, we seek out a lot of opinions, and then sometimes those opinions contradict one another, and we go, ah, now what do I do? Uh, then we might say, well, what I need to do is just listen to the Holy Spirit and really follow the Spirit's leading. And again, all of these things are, are, are great ideas that are rooted even in God's Word. But sometimes it's difficult to hear God. And it, it almost becomes a kind of paranoia sometimes where we feel like we can't make any decision unless we get some clear directive from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that would just make us paranoid. So uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 3 to 8, kind of unpacks what knowing God's specific will looks like, but maybe it's not in the way that we would assume it would look like. It's not about the, the biblical principles or necessarily listening to the Holy Spirit or getting godly counsel. Again, although all those things are great, but there's something else going on. And Paul describes it this way because it's the theme that's through the whole book. Paul describes uh, walking in God's specific will as walking in faith. And again, you, uh, you, you might be thinking, well, that's, you know, that's not helpful. <laughs> what does that actually look like? Well, that's what this sermon is about. But the way that I want to describe it this morning is, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry if it sounds corny, but it, it's just what's working for me, is uh, God's will is to kind of walk in a faith zone. That there's upper limits that are out of faith and lower limits that are out of faith. And there's a particular zone that God invites us to walk in, and it's the zone of faith. Now, we'll, we'll unpack this, but I just want to give you that language that that God invites us to walk by faith, and there's things that kind of go, that move beyond faith, and things that don't quite live up to faith. And it's in between those kind of two ditches, as it were, or an upper and lower limit, that God is inviting us to walk in. So let's go 
practically or, or, or specifically through verses 3 to 8 and kind of unpack what this means. So it begins in verse 3. It says, for by the grace. So this is going to be a, a really big word, by the grace of God. Now, what grace means here is it means privilege and authority. So Paul is saying that he has a privilege, and the privilege is to be able to serve the, the, the people of Rome and the people of God in general, that it's a privilege. It's not something that he earned, not even necessarily deserved, but it was given to him as a gift from God. So it's a privilege, but it's also authority, that it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that enabled him to be able to serve in this kind of way. So he's setting himself up as a bit of a prototype of what he's expecting the other people that he's writing to to behave in a similar way. But let's get back to the verse. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of your, yourself more highly than you ought. So what this idea than you ought is talking about is really to be honest. Uh, it's also about humility. And what we're finding here is that this is the upper limit of what faith is. The upper limit of faith is humility. When we move outside of faith, we move outside of humility. And what that primarily looks like in the area of faith is presumption. Where there's kind of a, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, it says, uh, uh, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So don't think of yourself as being so great that you know always what God's doing and, and how he should behave. And it's, it's almost like it's a faith in ourselves instead of a faith or trust in God. And so the, the upper limit to what faith looks like, where we move into presumption and humility, really is kind of that where we say if we start moving into that, where, where there's kind of a, a confidence in ourselves instead of in God, well, we've now moved beyond faith. So we need to be honest. We need to be humble. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith. Now, here's that faith zone that we're going to be exploring this morning. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Now, it's interesting to think of faith this way. It's almost like a, um, a deck of cards where you get a, a certain number of cards dealt you. There's always enough. And it's the right amount for what God's called you to do. But each one of us has a different experience of what trusting in God looks like. And it affects us in different ways. So he says, stay in this faith zone. Don't go above it. We'll look at what's below it in a minute. But don't go above it. Don't, don't start walking in presumption and arrogance and, and thinking that you have the corner on what God's doing. Don't go there. Stay in that zone. For just as each one, of us each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. I was thinking of this, uh, of this word belongs. What a strong word to talk about the body of Christ. I think we feel a little bit comfortable talking about belonging to one another in marriage, perhaps. But to think that as Christians, and it's, it's, it's particularly complicated now, we're not even, you know, meeting together all together. And yet the Bible says we belong to one another. We're not just showing up at the same meeting. We're not just 
attending the same functions or even worshiping the same God, although, of course, that's the foundation of it, but we actually belong to one another. I think this is a very powerful way to think. The idea is, now get this, that I can't be me without you. And vice versa, you can't be you without me. That there is something about our connection to one another that fulfills who we are personally. Think of, a, think of an elbow. And again, you don't want to get morbid, but imagine chopping out an elbow. If it's not connected to a hand and a shoulder, is it really still an elbow? That an elbow is an elbow to the degree that it belongs to the shoulder and to the hand. And if it would divorce itself from relationship, it would actually stop being itself. It has the potential, but only as it belongs to the body does it actually find its fulfillment and meaning and purpose. This is a radical way of thinking that's in stark contrast to how the world thinks. The world thinks that the, that the hand and the shoulder are somehow limiting the potential of the elbow. And they come along and say, wow, look at how limited you are. You're always connected to the, to the shoulder. And you always have to move the hands as if you can't just move yourself. Like, what's that about? And they go, you should, you should set free. You should, you know, find a, a fuller expression of yourself without being attached. Well, according to what we see here is that the opposite is true, that we actually find fulfillment in our connection. So what if the reason why uh, you or I would struggle with understanding God's will or purpose for our lives is that we're not adequately belonging. We're not adequately connected to the body of Christ. And so we end up trying to make up our own stories about who we're meant to be and, and what we're meant to do, missing that the best information that we can get for who we are is to understand the shoulder and the hand. And then in that context, we now know who we are. So this is what Paul is saying. You want to know God's will? Fit yourself in to his body. And as you are rightly connected, now you know what God's will, God's function, God's purpose is for you in particular. And then it goes on in verse 6. We each have different gifts. So this is no cookie-cutter religion. It's not everybody looks the exact same way as the others. Uh, that would betray the need for unity. If we're all an elbow, what that actually means is that we don't need all the other elbows. We already have enough. But because we're all different, now we all become important and vital for the sake of the greater whole. So we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Now, faith and grace are always being connected to one another because grace is what we're trusting God for. Uh, faith is just not wishful thinking or positivity. It always has an object to it. And so what we're trusting in is God who gives us his empowering presence. Remember, we've talked about grace in this way in the past, haven't we? That there's the, it, it is a privilege, as we've already said, and it's also the, the authority or the, or the manifestation of God in us to enable us to love God and others. So it's this power that's linked to God's presence. Incredible. So we all have these different manifestations 
of the, of the grace of God. Each part reflects the beauty of God. And together, we show the world in a much more profound way than any divorced elbow or hand could ever do, just how uh, splendid and beautiful God really is. And as we're all working together, we're showing the world something that is incredibly attractive and supernaturally powerful. So now he goes in, uh, Paul goes in to explain, to kind of give some examples about what this looks like. And so the first is if your gift, which is a form of grace, uh, they're, they're always tied to one another. So grace and gift, they basically are the same thing. It's charis. So if your grace is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. So you see, these are always being connected to one another, grace and faith. Uh, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Now, what we're finding here is the lower limit of faith. The upper limit is being arrogant. The lower limit is disobedience. You see, faith always looks like something. James 2, uh, all the way through, but James 2, 26 in particular, the, it says that faith without works is dead. This is the message of chapter 2 in James. And so we actually aren't walking in God's will. We're not doing what God calls us to do if we're disobedient. We're walking according to some other, trusting in something else. But we know that we're trusting in God when we're doing what his word says when we're living out the character and strengths of God in our own lives. And so if you have a grace to serve, the way that that, that that grace will look is if you exercise faith. What will that faith look like? Serving. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, but the grace will be useless unless it's attached to faith, and that faith will look like obedience, doing what God has given you the grace to do. So if it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And it's just interesting that this idea of encouragement is both, uh, is both comfort as well as to exhort. And so there's kind of two dimensions to it where uh, if you encourage people, you care for them just the way they are, but then you don't let them stay that way. You give them hope and, and vision. And so that's what it means to encourage. Now, it's interesting how it changes slightly in these last few. It says, if it's giving, then give generously. This is really highlighting what grace does. Grace doesn't just enable us to do kind of the minimum. It actually empowers us to do greater things than we could naturally do inside of ourselves. By grace, our giving can be generous, our leadership can be diligent, and our mercy can be cheerful. Isn't that great? So it's not, well, I'm merciful, and this is just how God's made me, I guess, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I really like it at all, but I hope they enjoy it. It's not like that at all. No, it's like I have the privilege to cooperate with God by being the merciful part of who he is in this moment. 
What a grand joy and privilege that it is. When grace is flowing through us, all of these things become great adventures into the, uh, into the spiritual world. And now these physical things that we're doing actually have supernatural power behind them. And that enables them to really affect reality in a very dynamic way. Now, what the whole point is of, of describing all these different gifts is not, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's just meant to be examples. And he, what's the example? Is that these are the kind of things that love looks like when it's connected with faith. And so, as we, uh, as we talked about last week, living in the mercy of God, when that mercy is combined with faith, these are the kinds of things that you and I are going to look like. We're going to look like people who prophesy, who serve, who lead in the privilege and authority of God, who are cheerful when we're kind, who exhort people in a way that cares for them and that, and that allows them to get up and, and move forward in life. This is what the mercy of God practically looks like when it's married to faith. This is exciting stuff. So how then can we tell when we've moved beyond the limits of faith? When we're, how can we tell if we're being disobedient? How can we tell if we become arrogant? What does it kind of practically look like? Uh, and, and this, again, is a very practical question because uh, what people often experience as they go through the Christian life is it gets overwhelming, doesn't it? We look at all the, the needs around us. We look at the poverty of our own soul, that sometimes it just feels hard to get up in the morning just because of all that's going on in us, let alone anybody else. And we go, you know, what is God's will? I, I, I want to be obedient. Um, I don't want to be arrogant. But it's hard for me to tell what's going on right now. And so people think like, well, maybe I have to just be careful about how much I do today. That walking in that zone of faith is about personal capacity. And I can only do this, but nah, I don't really feel like I have the ability to do that. Uh, I just don't feel equipped for that. I don't feel like I can find God in that place. And we kind of look and, and pick, say, this is how much I think is reasonable, uh, is a reasonable way for me to live today. I don't want to overcare because that'll be overwhelming, and I don't want to undercare either because that would be selfish. And so I'm just going to try to pick a, a middle zone, and I'll call that the faith zone. Or maybe we compare ourselves to others, and we go, wow, look at what so-and-so does. I could never do that. And so I guess I won't be able to walk in faith today because if that's what it means, then... Uh, I don't know if I can live up to those expectations. Comparison kills us, doesn't it? Uh, or we look at other people who maybe are doing less than us and go, oh, I'm not do doing that bad. I guess I'm just fine today and I can kind of cruise today because I'm, I'm way more loving than other people are. Uh, these aren't good ways to measure what faith looks like. And I'd like to give you a more relational way to understand what it looks like to live in that faith zone what it looks like to stay in humility and obedience. And it's simply this, to not do what God is uh, re uh, required or, or should do and what other people should do. 
Let's go back to the elbow. Uh, I can't, I am moving beyond faith when I start to overfunction and start to do what I think the hand should be doing or what the shoulder should be doing. And of course, it's always awkward when, a, when an elbow tries to act like a hand. That doesn't look very good. But it's, it, we're overfunctioning. We're going, they're not doing their part, and so I've got I've to step it up. As soon as we start to overfunction, we find ourselves getting overwhelmed, exhausted, embittered, because we're moving in a place that is really beyond trusting in God, isn't it? Is we feel like we have to compensate for what other people are doing or not doing. Sometimes we even do this in relationship to God. That we go, God, I don't know if I can trust you in this moment, so I'm just going to overfunction because I'm mistrusting you. The beautiful thing about faith is that we stay in a place where we are fully experiencing life, full of energy, giving 100% of ourselves into any given moment, but we're not overfunctioning as a hand or trying to act like God. We're staying in the zone. Uh, God always gives us enough grace to do our part. He gives an elbow enough grace to do what elbows do. He's not going to give you grace to do what a hand would do. Because that would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? Now you're only one person, but now you've got to perform two roles. Well, that's nearly impossible to do. And so God, in his great kindness, only gives us enough grace for what he's called us to do in any given moment. I find this incredibly reassuring because I get overwhelmed all the time. And here's what I think when I get overwhelmed. I think that what I need to do is I need to, to, to shrink that zone. I need to make it smaller because I'm overwhelmed. So overwhelmed means too much is going on. And so somehow what I need to do today is I need to love a little less. And this, though, becomes never-ending because I love a little less, but I'm still overwhelmed. So I guess I have a love a little less even than that. And then pretty soon there's no love left, but I'm still feeling overwhelmed. Why? Because the amount of love is not the problem. It's to stay in the zone of faith. I am called to be and, and empowered to be fully loving all day long. I am called to function as an elbow all day long. You know, you, you don't have an elbow saying, you know what? I've been on the job now. Uh, you got up at seven in the morning. It's now noon and I'm getting a little tired. An elbow doesn't need to say that, does it? An elbow has the strength to do what it needs to do all day long. It can love the hand and the shoulder all day long. There's enough grace for that. What there isn't grace for is when it starts to overfunction and compensate for the hand or the shoulder. Then we're exhausted. But you see, the problem is not about love. The problem is about faith. That we're somehow mistrusting God or we're disrespecting the people around us and we're overcompensating. And so instead of shrinking the amount of love or activity that we're going to do in a day, God says, no, widen your life to the amount of faith, to the measure of faith. This is what it, this is what it says. Um, According to the grace given us, in accordance with the faith that he has distributed 
to each one of us. Oops, let me do my pencil here. In accordance, according to. I have given you enough faith to stay loving all day long. I've given you enough faith to receive my love and to give my love away to others. And the only time that will be exhausting is when you move beyond faith and mistrust me and start to do my job or other people's job. But if you stay in accordance to the faith that I've given you, it will be a delight and a joy for you to act like an elbow throughout the day. I'm going to be feeding into you all the energy that you need. I'm going to invigorate you, enliven you. You're going to be able to bless others. It's going to be an amazing day. The problem isn't, the, isn't what I've given you to do today. The problem is if you move out of the zone of faith. So then let me say in conclusion, uh, I would like to say to you today that your unique purpose, I would venture to say, it's always been true, but during this pandemic, I believe is more important than it's ever been. There is connections that you have that as the pastor of this church, I don't have. You know people uh, to a degree that I don't know them and I'm not in relationship with them in the way that you are. We don't have a Sunday service where uh, we can all just invite our friends and, and hope that the inspiring worship and preaching kind of does the trick for the person. In this time, prophetically, I believe that God is highlighting for each one of us to own our part and to say, not only do I belong here, I am uniquely connected to others and I've been given a unique grace that others need in this moment that is irreplaceable. Um, they, did a, they did some research. There's a there's a, a group called Barna. They did some, some research on church attendance during this pandemic. And uh, what they found is that church attendance in the, in the States has dropped by a third. So there's a third less people who are participating in church now than... Uh, before the pandemic started. And who are those people primarily? It's the people on the fringe. And so if we imagine people on the fringe, let's say it's being the hand, uh, now you see how important it is to be an elbow because you're the one that is, is connected to these people who are on the fringe, that there's no way that um, you know the staff of the church is going to be able to reach out and affect all of these people. It's impossible. Can I please exhort you in this time that this is a time for you to receive your identity, to know what God's will is for you, that you belong to the body of Christ and your connection to what's above, your connection to what's below is going to give you an, uh, an incredible sense of purpose but it's not just about your feelings. You're just important. And so would you, in this time, say, 
by faith, I believe that I am connected to the body and that I am to be uh, a connection for others to be connected. How, would you, how can I do that? And God will give you grace to bring prophecy, to bring service, to bring leadership, to bring mercy. He will equip you by his grace. What's required of you? Simply to believe. And what does that belief look like? Being humble, not being presumptuous and puffing yourself up, being honest. But it also looks like being obedient and saying, I'm going to do what God has given me to do. And I'm going to express that and live in that faith zone. In my anxiety, I'm not going to love less. Instead, I'm going to believe in who God has made me to be in this moment and receive the unique calling that I have in Jesus Christ. God doesn't ask you to do anything more or anything less than trust in him. This is normal Christian life. This is normal faith. It's simply saying, I can't over or under function. I am called to follow my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, into each moment of the day. And as I do, I will be a connection for others to draw them in to relationship with the body of Christ, with the Spirit of God. And in that place, you will fulfill your life purpose. I would like to pray for us that we would receive our connection that we would receive our life purpose and that um, we would also be able to not feel condemned by you know, feeling the pressure to do more than what God's given us to do, but also not discount ourselves by saying, ah, it doesn't really matter what I do, but stay obedient to the, to the people that you're connected to and the things that God has given you to do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've shown us what your will is. Your specific will for our life is to live by faith, live trusting in you, playing the part that you've given us to play in our relationship with other people and in the work that we've been given to do. Father, I pray that you would lift off of people this morning the pressure to be more than that, the pressure to somehow, in some way, that we play God and we feel like it's all on our shoulders and it just crushes us and we move beyond faith at the upper limit of faith. But, oh, Father, I pray that we wouldn't be disobedient either, but that we would receive our calling, that we would walk in obedience, that we would express our faith in you by practically loving others in Jesus' name according to the grace that you've freely given us. In this time of world history, of our, of our particular church. Oh, Father, would you please stir each heart that we could be an extension of your love and mercy to the world around us. Give us hope, give us vision as we walk forward in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.